Hello, Tim. How are you? Haven't spoke to you for a while. We had Christmas. We had New I Year's. Just, um, it's, it was nice to have a break and just uh, spend the whole time reading about AI. Nice. Good use of your <laughs> good use of your Christmas. Well, your your break. That doesn't surprise me at yeah. all. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Absolutely superb. And uh, you have some chinchillas since we last. Week. I do have some chinchillas. I'm really sorry if they make a noise in the background. Hopefully nobody will hear them. I'll be ready to mute in case they decide that it's time to run on the wheel or decide to have an argument or anything like that. So apologies in advance to both Tim and anybody listening to this podcast. No need to apologize. We love fluffy creatures. Most of the time. Most of the time. But they're very loud. Most of the time. It's like, well, I've actually oh, been indeed. logging every day when they've been active to try and avoid <laughs> meetings at times when they're loud. Um, you know, I'm a proactive gal, so <laughs> yeah. Anyway, today, what have we got on the show today, Jess? Well, we are going to be talking about fixing up your marketing machine, which is based on a fantastic webinar that Tim did earlier this week. Last week? Last week. That's when it was. Last week. It was week, last week. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and we're also just going to be going over our normal podcasty things like brand of the week, marketing fair of the week, a lesson we think you need to hear, and marketing news, which by news, we mostly just mean Tim is going to talk about AI again. But you know what? I didn't put any news forward. It matters. It, it does matter. It does matter. It's really important. It's very much a huge conversation topic on the top of everybody's minds right now. So I think it is important that we talk about it. Um, so Tim, go straight in yep. with our Google AI related news. Cool. Yeah. So this, I mean, I think AI stuff really does matter and it matters for all of us digital marketers. And there is likely to be a point, I think, in this year where it moves from being oh that's this curious thing over there that some people are playing with to actually something that we all need to work with on the reg on a daily basis and there's two updates along those lines um very recent the first is an indication from google that their attitude to ai produced content has shifted indeed so if you remember back in the helpful content which was oh uh, if you remember back when Google released the helpful content update, I think the first one was August 2022. Um, the wording that they used in that was that the helpful content update, in fact, I've got it, let me just find it. The helpful content update is part of a broader effort to ensure people see more original, helpful content written by people for people in search results. Now, why would you write content written by people unless you were specifically talking about demoting content written by AI. Because as far as I can see, there's only two beings, entities that are going to write content. It's either people or it's AI. So for me, that was a real clear shot across the bow from Google saying, do not be writing using AI and publishing on your site. Otherwise, we're going to pander you to bits or we're going to penguin you to bits or whatever the next uh, helpful content update version of that would be. So lots of marketers, us included, were like, whoa, the, 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 this is heavy words. Google's talking about sidewide penalty. It appears that Google's attitude to this has changed because uh, there was some news last week. Bankrate.com, which is a massive finance site, ranks really well, loads of organic visibility. They've started using AI to write some of their content. And rather than hide away from this, they've been saying, you know, they've actually been including it in uh, a little byline and it's been showing up in their meta description it says this article was generated using automation technology thoroughly edited and fact checked by an editor on our editorial Wait, staff so this is an admission 
that this stuff is written by AI. So people started saying to Google, well, what are you going to do about this? Here we go. It's going to kick off. And Google basically said, well, actually, as said before, when people have asked us about AI, as long as the content is good, then it's not an issue. As long as it's designed for people, then it's not an issue. But this is actually in direct contravention to what they've said before. So this is really interesting. Now, from my perspective, the floodgates are open. We are all free to publish as much AI-generated content as we want on our websites. Google can't penalize us for the fact that it is AI. They can penalize us for it being low quality, but we'd never publish low quality anyway. But AI, Google's given the green light. So this is massive. One of my first thoughts when I saw ChatGPT being so widespread, you know, having such widespread use was, this is really going to flood the internet with a whole bunch of total garbage, like total garbage. People just producing generic articles on everything that they possibly can because writing detailed articles was previously the sort of barrier to entry to prevent people doing that. Google responds to this and what happens because, you know, a knowledge base used to be really difficult to produce. Now, as long as you're willing to sit there and edit it, it's significantly less difficult to produce. So therefore it becomes the standard and yeah, it's, I, I don't know how Google's going to police this. I don't know how Google's going to um, continue filtering search results the way it has. If I'm honest, I think it's uh, a, a big moment for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that is what's led to the change. I think, you know, there's been a lot of progress in AI and especially in terms of content, but it's never really been at the level that it's hit recently like especially with chat gpt like i think that really changed a lot of people's perspectives and showed that actually it's very very difficult to tell the difference and if we can't tell the difference it's going to be really tough for google to tell the difference using an algorithm so i think they've just had to be like okay just make sure it's have your fun but make sure that it's it's still correct and that it's still for people you're not just putting you know write me a hundred blogs about x and then uploading them all without checking them um, I think I've seen a lot of people yeah. refer to AI as like a confident liar or, you know, making mistakes confidently. And that's completely true. It'll tell you something or it'll write something and it sounds really professional, really smart about it. And then when you actually dig down into it, you're like, that is complete gobbledygook and not right at all. But they just use a load of long words to confuse me. So I think we still need to be editing. We still need to be making sure that we're using AI as a tool not just to write our content, but I think, yeah, it's definitely here to stay. Um, and I think we're going to find a lot more uses for it in the future, for sure. I think Tim has connection problems, but I don't want to talk over him in case he's monologuing and then he's going to come back and I'm just going to have talked all over everything. Um, but I will say something that I had written on our um, original document, which was very, very interesting to see that Google had made this U-turn when they were so, so distinctive before. It felt like they'd really taken this stance um, and it was very, very deliberate wording. So it's really interesting to see that they have done yeah. this. And I'm also very interested to see what they are going to launch because we know that they've got their own AI um, platforms in development. And so it does surprise me in a lot of ways that they didn't see this coming um, because apparently what they yeah. have is better. Um, so yeah, very, I'm very intrigued to see how this develops for sure. Yes. On that line, and and Bing, Microsoft obviously is a is an part owner of OpenAI, who produced ChatGPT, and there's some news recently about their desire to release a 
the wording I think was interesting. It was something like, um, let me see what I put in my notes, release a version of Bing using ChatGPT. So they weren't necessarily saying we're going to put ChatGPT in the Bing search results. They were, it was a version of Bing, which I think is kind of interesting because you might get this sort of, you, you're probably going to get a different search experience if you're using, you know, you're not going to get links. You probably, you may or may not get ads. I don't know. Um, so that's also going to be pretty interesting to see if Microsoft can steal market share from Google after looking like a dead loser in search for yeah. so long. Wouldn't it be amazing? I think someone said recently, if you know, if Bing manages to unseat Google in the search world, then Satya Nadella is the unbelievable, like a strategic god. Um, that would be extraordinary. Absolutely, um, playing the long game there and um, eventually finding some way to, <laughs> to get back in. I think it is wise to look at chat GPT and look at the things that people are enjoying about it, whether that's you ask a question and you get one paragraph answering your question rather than having to scroll. Like I saw an example that was like, how many calories in, it, in an apple? You really just want to know how many calories are in an apple. You don't want to have to read. Yeah. And I know that Google have done a little bit of that in terms of like you'll click on an article and it'll take you straight to that bit. But I think if they could find a way to do this and make it profitable, that would be, that could be pretty groundbreaking because a lot of the compliments that people are saying about chat GPT is, you know, there's no advertising. You're not going to get people at the top that shouldn't be. But also they've said that it's so expensive and they don't know how much longer they can run it for free. So I don't know if that means they are yeah. going to need to put ads on it or if they're going to, I expect they're going to start charging people to use it essentially, which means that people won't make the move because they'll just use Google because it's free. So there's, yeah, there's so many layers to this and we're just going to yeah. see it unravel um, over the next, over the next year. I think, I think it's going to be fairly swift and we're going to see a lot of changes monthly, I think, really. Yeah, I, I would agree. Actually, BT's been out for uh, six weeks now, is it? 30th of November. It's, you know, how I think about digital marketing, completely different. I think that the, the future of digital marketing looks totally different um, to, to how it did six weeks ago, which is extraordinary. And, and that's down to the pace of these changes. My prediction for this year, I've got two predictions for this year, Jess. I thought I'd try and insert some 2023 predictions. Nice, predictions nice. In this episode. My first prediction is that by the end of this year, we will all be having to optimize for some sort of AI search thing, right? That's my first, but I had no idea what it's going to look like. So it's a very broad prediction. Um, my second prediction, I've actually totally forgotten. No, my second prediction is, you know how on TikTok, how, and I think TikTok is the most extreme version of this. On TikTok, you'll see a user post two TikToks, right? First TikTok will have like three views or maybe 300 views. The second one will be like 3 million. And you get this massive, um, it's almost like discreet in its nature of, you, you don't just sort of ramp up like on YouTube, you sort of tend to ramp up yes. or on search, you tend to ramp up the amount of views that you get on TikTok. You just get like winners or losers and the losers can be dead losers. Even if you just had a winner, I expect we're going to see a similar sort of thing in search as producing content for search engines becomes so easy to do. Everyone is going to have these tools. The difference between producing a winning piece and a losing piece, I predict is going to broaden. If you're a plumber, for example, at the moment, you could quite easily get some really good search visibility by out-contenting all your friends. Well, if all of your friends have this tool that allows them to produce reams and reams of like generic, fairly okay, sort of average, middle-of-the-road content, you can't beat them on volume. You've got to beat them on quality. And I think that's what 
that that's going to be the playing field. And I know like quality content always wins, but that is going to be more true than ever. Quantity is definitely going to be dead because quantity is now available to everyone. And it's about how you steer these tools, how you prompt them to get them the most useful output. Completely, completely. I'm definitely going from somebody who was very anti-AI to kind of going back a little bit towards it. But also just, you know, I'm st I've still got my reservations, but I'm definitely seeing some stuff that, that I really enjoy. I've really enjoyed some stuff that I've been doing with ChatGPT. Um, so yeah, but enough about AI as this is the a Exposure Ninja AI. AI podcast most of the time. But what I want to talk to you about, Tim, is your webinar that you did last week, not earlier this week, because it's only Tuesday, um, all about fixing your marketing machine. Tell me, tell me, I did watch it, but I'm going to pretend like I didn't and take the role of the audience and say, <laughs> Tim, what was it about? Tell me all your things. So over Christmas, as well as reading lots of AI stuff, I was playing with looking over our most successful clients over the history of Exposure Ninja because we've seen some we've seen some unbelievable stuff like the first time I saw a client who had a lift in their house an elevator in their house I was like oh yeah yeah cool we're doing some stuff we did some stuff um, and we've seen some amazing successes but we've also seen to be completely honest we've also seen businesses that have struggled and even though we've done you know Exposure Ninja has done our SEO thing to these two you know comparable examples one has blown up and the other hasn't so it's fascinated me for years like what's the difference here what's the predictor because if we could work out what the difference was then maybe we could reverse engineer it and apply it to all of the clients so they could all be um all be amongst the most successful so i was playing with this and we've built various models and i've done various bits of analysis over the years and for the last few months, we've been playing with this concept of the marketing machine. And what it is, the, the simplest way I can boil it down is that every business has a digital marketing machine. And if you think about what a machine does, a machine, it, you put input in and then you get some sort of output, right? So you put, I don't know, silicon in and you get phone cases out or you put whatever, you know, manure in and you get manure pellets. I don't know when my head went to manure, but whatever. Um, <laughs> And, and and that's exactly what we are doing with digital marketing. We're creating a machine where you can throw people in, so throw traffic in, and you get revenue out. That's the ideal. And the more effective the machine, the more revenue you get out when you throw a, a pellet of people into this thing. So we started looking at, okay, what makes a really effective marketing machine? Of all the businesses that we've worked with, of all the ones we've done our teardowns in, on YouTube and all the ones we've been a part of our own journey, what are the components of their marketing machine where we know when we see it, because we, we see it when we get a, you know, a business come to Exposure Ninja and they, they show us their website. We're like, okay, this is going to be a winner. So what are we looking at there? And, and sort of working out what the components of a successful machine are. And we've brought it down to a whole bunch of different elements. Um, and then we've basically created an offering where we can fix people's machines by looking at these different elements and tweaking or optimizing the ones that are most problematic. So I mean, this is useful, even if you're not going to work with us on this stuff. So I, I can give you a quick list of the, the machine components, and then feel free to go and have a watch of the webinar if you want. But they are appealing branding. So by branding, we mean obviously visual identity, so logo, color scheme, but also 
tone of voice and the sort of personality of the business as well. And by appealing, we don't just mean appealing to you or appealing to your graphic designer. We mean appealing to your target audience. All of this is coming from the perspective of the target audience. Um, the second component is a clear reason to buy. So why should anybody buy from you rather than your competitor? Unbelievably, the vast majority of businesses really struggle with that question. It's a really good way to put someone on the spot. That's a question everyone should know the answer to. But if I ask you now, I bet, why should people buy from you rather than a competitor? It's a way more difficult question to answer than it is to ask. Um, the third component is that you have to have some sort of objection handling or risk reversal on your website. So it should be very easy to initiate business with you. And the main reasons why somebody would not do business with you have to be answered sufficiently on every single page of your site. The fourth is what we call sort of broadly positioning. So where do you sit price versus value compared to your competitors? So in the webinar, I give an example of a client that we had uh, a long time ago who sold dresses. They priced them like Gucci dresses, but they were a completely unknown brand. Now, obviously, that equation does not compute. In the company's head, they were like, well, we can charge this much because Gucci charges this much. But obviously, without the Gucci, the Gucci price doesn't make any sense. So where do you sit price versus value? You don't have to be the cheapest. You just have to be able to explain your value relative to your competitors and for that to make sense. And the next component is having a compelling next step offer. So this is your CTA offer. We talk about this loads. Absolute gold. Um, the next piece is building in customer insights. So very few companies talk to their customers. Very few companies survey their customers and find out yep. what they like about them, what they don't like, all that type of stuff. So do that. Next piece, effective automated follow-up. So once someone comes into your world, what are you doing to follow up with them automatically? And then the final piece, easy to use website, no explanation needed. Yeah, take <sighs> breath, take breath. But I think these are all things that I feel like businesses feel like they know and feel like they don't need to write them down and don't need to talk about them, but they are so, so important. You know, you'd be like, what's your value? What's your price versus value? Like, why are you pricing yourself like that? And they'll just be like, oh, you know, because this. And it would just be the most basic answer. Oh, because that's how, how much we need to make this much profit. Okay, cool. But you're not positioning yourself like that. You're yeah. not connecting with your customers your customers don't see you in that way and i think that gucci example is really really good like i don't understand why gucci charges what they do but they obviously have a reason why they do but if somebody even more unknown well not even more unknown but somebody totally unknown is trying to charge that i would even more be like what are you doing what who gives you who gave you the right to charge you know thousands for a handbag um based off of nothing so i think yeah it's um <laughs> There's all these different elements that people don't think about. And it's so easy and so straightforward, really. Well, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's, you know, something that any business can do. It, it is. It's so straightforward. It's difficult to um, it's difficult to underestimate. So why should somebody buy from you rather than your competitors? People will say things like, because we have really good service. But that's totally meaningless. And I don't know that until I've actually done business yes. with you. So it's not a useful reason at all. Whereas if you can quantify that or you can be more specific about that, we offer, you know, 24 hour customer service with a three minute response rate, which is really important if we're hosting your website, for example, something along yeah. those lines, then all of a sudden that becomes a sufficient, you know, that that becomes enough to be a reason. And and it was really interesting seeing a lot of the businesses that requested our help on the back of this. They are viable businesses they are good businesses but their machines are totally i don't want to say broken because that's it might sound disrespectful but their machines are 
totally undifferentiated. So you could look at their website and it looks like just another X. And that's really difficult to market because if you're promoting just another X, it's, you know, you're just going up, you're paying the same CPCs as everyone else. You're hoping that you've got deeper pockets. You're hoping that your sales team is better. You're hoping that you're converting better, whatever. But if you can set yourself apart so that uh, the example in the thing, one of the first ever clients I worked with was a guy who could fit balustrades. Balustrades are like metal and glass uh, fences. And um, he phoned me up and said, this is when my phone number was the CTA and the Explosion Engine website. And he phoned me up and said, Tim, I can get a really good deal on balustrades. Um, I was like, okay, uh, cool. Like, how good? And he said, well, how good? Uh, basically, I can supply and fit them for the price that other people can just supply them. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. So could we offer free fitting on all your balustrades? He said, yes, we could. So great. Now we have an offer. Now we have something that we can take to market that makes him stand apart. So when we run PPC, well, guess who gets the best click-through rate? It's the provider who's offering free fitting on all their balustrades when none of the competitors are offering that. Or guess who's getting the highest click-through rate from search? Well, us, because, you know, so it makes it much easier to market a business that has this stuff nailed than one that is just like, oh yeah, we could do that too. And then they're just hoping that, you know, enough, uh, you know, enough people come by that some of them trip over outside your store and, and, and fall this in. This is the thing. This um, is always the problem. It's like, it's not yeah. just enough to show up. But I think a big question really, Tim, is it's, I always say this, that you don't know what you don't know. And like, how do people know? Let's say they've got yeah. a steady, you know, their, their business is viable. They've got a steady revenue, but how would they know if actually they could be doing a lot more and if their machine is quote unquote broken? The, the, the thing that we hear most often is that nothing has worked, right? <laughs> I've tried loads of things and nothing seems to be working. So whether that's, you know, I've tried loads of different traffic channels, none of them seem to be converting enough to be profitable. Or I've tried, you know, I've tried rebuilding my website three times and it's still not working for me. I'm getting this traffic, but I'm not getting the sales. If you've tried lots of things, so if you've only tried one traffic channel and it doesn't pay off, then it might just be that traffic channel's role, right? There's that thing, if, if everyone thinks that you're a horse, then you're a horse. You know, if if all of the traffic channels are working, then mm, might not be the traffic channels. And most often, it's something about the website or the proposition. So low conversion rate is one. Uh, if you're getting strange questions from prospects can be another one. A lot of websites actually are pretty confusing when you go on them. It's really difficult to work out what's going on. So if you get strange questions like, do you do this? And you're like, what? Well then you've obviously not been clear enough about your proposition on your site. Um, low leads and sales volumes for the traffic. And the final one is, if you're noticing that leads or sales are ghosting you, this can often also be the case uh, that your machine is, is broken or suboptimal because people haven't attached sufficient value to you in order to actually push through, right? I just need five quotes, so I'm just going to get... I'm just going to ask 10 people, right, I've had my five, everyone else is being ignored. In that sort of situation, you're being viewed purely as just another supplier and there is no differentiation. So you've not got any sort of added value there at all. Um, so those are some of the key areas that, you you know, if, if you're seeing that consistently, then have a look at your machine. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that you mentioned there reminded me of something when you said about strange questions from prospects, unsure what they're getting. This could actually be very, very simple. I had a situation recently where actually 
we went to an award show. Tim booked a um, hotel for us. And I was like, is there a hairdryer in the hotel? No, it was either, no, is there a hairdryer? Is there an iron? I can't remember. There was one, one of these two. And there was just no information on the website as to whether there was an iron. And I asked somebody and I was like, is there an iron at the hotel? And they were like, obviously. And I was like, well, actually not obviously, not for me, because I don't go to hotels a lot. And I don't know that they're generally, you know, they generally have these things, right? Um, And so sometimes if you're seeing a question over and over again, that you're like, well, this is obvious. These people are just stupid. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe it's something that you know. And you're just like, well, obviously every hotel has an iron. No, it's not mm. obvious. It's not obvious to me. It's not obvious to people who like to double, triple check everything. Mm. So, um, yeah, just make sure that you are, you're really tuned into your customers and don't, these are all things I think businesses take for granted and think it doesn't apply to them. And you might be surprised when you actually sit back and speak to your customers, you know, like there's another example as well. I said today, you, you need, you don't need to have a home button on your website because everybody knows if you click the logo. It takes you back to home. And he was like, no, actually, if you watch people use websites, a lot of people don't know that. So that's my example of being on the reverse end of that and thinking nobody needs a home button because everybody knows you click the logo. No, they don't. Yeah, it's it's a great point. I think that's also one of the reasons why, and I'm not just saying this because we, we do this stuff, but why it's often useful to have an outsider give you this type of feedback. Yep. So when we do our free website and marketing review, for example, we are telling people fairly basic stuff a lot of the time, but it feels profound to them because they've looked at their website 200 times so they know every pixel on it. And it's not until someone new comes along that's like, I actually don't know where your business is based. I would not be able to buy from you that you're like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, no, that could be important. Well, the iron example is, is key, isn't it? Because you don't know what you don't know all of the myriad things that are going to be important to a prospect unless you actually talk to them the things that might be obvious and matter to you might not be the same for them so yeah there's a lot of money in those obvious things obvious well as i said before this is a fantastic webinar when tim when i saw that it was an hour and a half long i was like are you sure (laughs) that is very long there's no way you can talk for an hour and a half tim about this and you know what it was really good i was engaged the whole time it was fantastic so yeah if you follow the link it is exposure.ninja slash machine um there's sign up there it's already happened i think there's a mistake on the page that says like it's happening on the 11th already happened input your details and you'll be given access to the pre-recorded webinar i believe um so yeah but it's very very good excellent watch and if you want to know a bit about the history of exposure ninja as well and sort of what led tim to kind of discover this it's a really good um insight can see some pictures of tim back in his drumming days which were quite amusing so there's something there for everyone basically is what i'm saying <laughs> yeah exposure.ninja forward slash machine not exposureninja.com forward slash machine exposure.ninja forward slash machine that's yes. the one very confusing. that is the one shall we jump on to brand of the week you have- by the way Yes, you've got a really good I one. I have, I have. Well, I say I have. It kind of popped into my brain because me and Tim both had a bit of a head empty day yesterday and we were like, what are we going to write in this document? Um, because we haven't done the podcast for a bit and we weren't in our habit of like getting news. Um, so I actually went for a really obvious brand of the week. Well, not an obvious one, but a big brand, which isn't something I would normally do, but it was to do with the advert that they ran. And the brand is McDonald's. I know, terrible. We all know this one. Um, but... What the reason I wanted to talk about them is because they did a new advert that's titled Fancy and McDonald's. It has no burgers in it. It's directed by Edgar Wright, which is one of my favorite directors who directed like Shaun of the Dead, Paul, like 
all those kind of hot fuzz, all those kind of movies. Um, and it's just really, really funny. Um, I don't think we can really watch it on stream because, oh, you can't really watch it on the podcast anyway because listeners will not be able to see it. But essentially what happens is there's a bunch of people in an office. One puts a post-it note over the computer of another person because they're getting tired after lunch with the McDonald's. She puts this post-it with the McDonald's logo. They keep doing the eyebrows in time of the music. So it's like the McDonald's arches. Um, and then the whole office ends up kind of getting together and dancing and going for McDonald's. And it was just really good. It was just very relatable. They didn't have to show a burger. They just gave you that feeling that you get when Tim and I wouldn't know currently. But when you're in an office or with your friends and somebody goes, oh, should we get McDonald's? And everybody else goes, oh, go on then. I'll get one if you get one. And I just thought it was really good, like really, really good. And I think it really does actually apply very well to wider digital marketing as a whole. It's not often that we would talk about sort of more of a traditional advert on this podcast, but I just thought it was a great example of how they created something that was relatable, fun, memorable, included people they like, I feel we don't see a lot in adverts, which was just like everyday office people. Right. Like they didn't even look like actors. It just looks like people that they literally were like, went into an office and were like, can we record this, you know? Um, and I mean, as much as obviously McDonald's have a little bit, a little bit of people know them, basically. People people recognize them. I still think if I saw the advert, it would have caught my eye anyway, even if it was about something else, because it was just so catchy and fun and memorable. I just think I would have stuck out to me anyway. So yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, Tim. I don't know what your thoughts are. I have. I This is the only type of brand advertising that I really like. Um, so the, the the piece that I latched onto is, you know, when you raise your eyebrows, for those who are listening to the podcast, when you raise your eyebrows, I mean, they don't really, but they potentially look like the McDonald's arches, right? So I think there's like a tagline that's like raise your arches or something. Yes. And what they're trying to do, it, this reminds me of those, you know, those stupid Budweiser frogs where everyone's going, bird. Or the McDonald's, the I'm loving it, the little audio jingle. Like I love these things when they try and... um when brands use their ad budget to insert a meme into society yeah. and they try and give their audience like an in-joke that they can play with. And every time you and your dumbass friends are going, but, you know, they're getting a, a sort of repeat on the ad. And, and I, I, love, I love that they're trying to insert this sort of raising your eyebrows to mean McDonald's. I just think, I just think that's so cool. Yeah. Like I think a lot of brand advertising, a lot of TV advertising, I just I'd kick it off a cliff. I wouldn't save it. But this type of thing, I just I think it's really nice to try and link those things to things that we all already do. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, but absolutely it's cool. it's any way it. that you can create a little in joke or as I like to call it, call and response. Like I have three younger sisters really? and we're aged between twenty-eight and twelve. And there's so many little things that we do, like somebody will say something and then somebody from the other room will finish it. And it's constant, like, you know, when I hang out with them and I think it really, you know, or somebody will start something or we'll hear something that sounds just like a little TikTok we saw three weeks ago. And then for the next week, that's all we're saying. Yeah. And I think it's McDonald's kind of tapped into that here. Like I can see me and other people being like doing our eyebrows, which we already do anyway. But like, you know, we're going to McDonald's, sat in the drive-thru and we're just doing the eyebrows at each other the whole time. Like, yeah, it seems a really <laughs> silly idea and it's I'm exaggerating slightly. But I think, yeah, I think it's really like, yeah, I think it could be. It's one of those ads that you see and you're like something shifted 
in the ad world after that was released. So yeah, I just had to talk about it, even though it's not like yeah. a brand new brand. I just thought it was um it was really cool and worth talking about. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, you've also got a great lesson of the week. I for have. Us. Sorry, I seem to take over a little bit this week, and normally it would be like Tim, me, Tim, and I'm just like, no, it's the Jess show this week. <laughs> but no, the um the Go lesson of the week that. that I wanted to talk about is actually I caught up with a marketing pal who um frequents this uh normally frequents our podcast and our other media, um Gabrielle, and um, I spoke to him for a while. And we met in person because I went and visited a shop he works for called What the Pitter which is a vegan um, kebab restaurant. And one of the conversations we had, because we pretty much talked marketing the whole time we were together, one of the conversations that we had was about how challenging it has been to market their fully vegan restaurant, well, kind of fast food, during the January, which you would think it would be the easiest time to market. And it really got me thinking about how these trends come along and you think, I am 100%, I'm perfectly positioned to take over this trend and master it. And then everyone else jumps on onto it and then you get drowned out. So nobody cares that this amazing restaurant, which by the way, the food was incredible, but nobody cares about that because the places they go normally are doing all their little special deals, special offers. You know, I went to Asda, they've got a whole new Asda vegan range. They've rebranded all their plant-based stuff. They really didn't need to, um, but they've just done it obviously just in time for Veganuary. Um, and I just thought it was really, really, really interesting. Um, and Tim, you actually added some really great points as well in terms of, I'll let you jump onto this because I've lost the comment because of the way I've got my screen. So apologies. Preparing, yeah. that was it, preparing. Well, <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the obviously Exposure Ninja, we deal with businesses that are typically between say 500K and, and 10 mil rev. So we tend to work with people who are quite, let's say ad hoc in their promotion calendar. So they'll be like, oh, it's... Uh, December the 28th. What's coming up next year? Ah, oh, Veganuary, three days time. Uh, better let the ninjas know about that one. See if we can run some promos. So um, obviously these types of things, we're in a great period now where people are planning out or hopefully planning out their calendars for the whole year. So it's worth putting in, you know, selling with Black Friday, right? If you're thinking about Black Friday in November, it's too late. So good idea to have these things planned out. Um, well ahead of time, know exactly what you're promoting, exactly how you're promoting it and get all your content produced ready um, because agencies and influencers are extremely busy around these times. Um, but I think that's a great point that you raise about, um, you know, there, there being a sort of a wave of attention around these, around these things. And if you're a sort of native to Veganuary, then maybe it's not the right time to promote. I also think there's a sub-problem, which is that people assume that just because they're on a trend means that they're going to see some massive uplift in sales. Whereas actually, you know, Veganuary primarily exists as a promotion, primarily exists as a marketing event, right? I don't know how many people around the world are sort of marching around thinking massively differently about what they're eating. Of course, there are going to be some people, but mainly this is a thing that us marketers are trying to enforce on the population in order to sell them stuff. So it's not necessarily the, the solution to all of your problems. Yeah, no, this is totally true. And the other takeaway that I had from that was that if you are thinking about jumping on a trend, also think about what happens afterwards. Would it actually be better for you to jump on that trend and then extend it? So for instance, this vegan cafe maybe your push should be in february oh all the other businesses have stopped talking about veganuary but we're vegan every month of the year you know because i know like kfc did a vegan right. burger for veganuary and then dropped it it's back now but there was about a year where they didn't have it 
Um, and I think it's like you can kind of spin it on its head and take advantage of the trend a bit later on for people who have done, you know, have taken part in the trend in the first wave and then feel a bit lost now. There's nothing left. So I think, yeah, I think that's Man. that's the main um, the main lesson there, really, is that think about your trends, plan in advance and see if there is an alternative trend for you to sort of create yourself. I and mean, just because it's obvious that you should take yeah. part in that trend doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Hang on. I've got a, I've got a sort of second marketing lesson of the week, which I really kind of want to piggyback in here, if possible. Um, we've This was shared in, in our... We got a water cooler, Ninja Water Cooler, which is a Slack channel where all the random stuff happens, mostly people wishing each other <laughs> happy birthday and, um, and Joe Barkley winning Ninja of the Month and everyone saying how well-deserved it is. <laughs> But um, one of the things that was shared today was a, an amazing one we've had on a client campaign for a um, there are an addiction recovery clinic, and we got them featured um, on the Independent, which is a massive authority website, but with a like a big, big old section and someone crediting this uh, addiction recovery clinic from saving their lives. So it's a really, you know, it's, it this is a sort of coverage that it's very difficult to you know you wouldn't be able to buy that there's it takes a lot of work and i was just talking to the content marketing ninja annabelle who who got this coverage i was just curious to find out you know what she had to do to get that because that's a big old you know this isn't the sort of thing that you just re reply to someone's journal request on twitter and get this yeah. is a this is coverage built around this um the the persistence and relentless I don't know what you call it, like woodpecker sort of tapping away that Annabelle had to do. So, you know, people talk, people ask like, how do you get mainstream links? Let me tell you sort of Annabelle's story. So, okay, she follows the news, but all of the clients, we, we encourage a content marketing team to follow the news stories around the work that, you know, their clients are doing. So they're up to date in their industry and stuff. So she's been following a particular story about one, um, one drug addiction oxycontin it's called and there's been a particular family who've had lots of coverage in the media she's been following this for around 18 months um, and she knows that one of the family was addicted to this drug which our, our client helps um, people rehabilitate after so she knows that this story is out there um, she also knew from talking to the client that they had contact uh, with someone who had a story around this so they had contact with someone one of their patients who had suffered from this and had had this really traumatic experience. So Annabelle spoke to the client. She managed to get the client to introduce her to their, their customer, their patient. So she talked to them. That person agreed to be put forward in the media. She then she sent a pitch to every journalist she could find the details for that had covered any story about OxyContin and all the editors of the major newspapers. So she pitched around 50 people. This resulted in one of the journalists asking her for more information, passing on her details to another journalist at the same place who was covering, covering a story about opioid addiction. She contacted them, she pestered them, then she managed to get them on the phone, she managed to get them to speak to the client's client. It took around three months of sending pitches and then chasing for two months. <laughs> okay, Three months pitching, two months chasing, 50 people, and then she got the coverage uh, the pitch email that she sent was absolutely phenomenal as well by the way it had a quote from the uh, from the patient at the top which is a real attention grabbing quote so if yep. i'm a journalist and I've, I've written about that topic 
I see this quote and it hits me straight between the eyes. But this just shows like the effort that you might have to go to to get mainstream media coverage. But incredible, um, incredible persistence by Annabelle. And I think she's, uh, yeah, it just, you know, just shows when people are like, oh, how come, you know, we don't get these links in the mainstream media? That's why, because you don't have the time or energy to do that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you don't see all the work that goes behind the scenes for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, Annabelle's fab and very, very relentless <laughs> in stuff like this. And as Tim said, it's all about being so immersed in your world and understanding the conversations that are happening, who's having them. Like, for instance, Annabelle in this situation found all these different editors and writers who had worked on stories about this, right? So she already knew that they were the right kind of people, that they already had an interest. But then she branched out and contacted other people who might not have known about the story and might not be privy to it, but it still is relatable to them. So I think that is like Brilliant. super, super important as well. I'm going to ask Annabelle for an example of that pitch because link building and coverage is my ultimate nemesis. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to speaking <laughs> to her about that. Um, but yeah, so that's our, that's our lessons of the week. We also have a marketing fail, which Tim and I kind of had a bit of back and forth about as we've both um, sort of come across this type of content before. Now, this again is a non-digital example, but the lesson and the fail kind of applies to everyone. Um, and it's a bit silly, but basically I was in Victoria Station at the start of last week and saw these posters for the Mary Poppins musical, right? And there were these huge posters that go above like the train times and there was another one above some shops. And it just said, it had a picture of Mary Poppins. It just said in massive letters, she leaves 7th of January, <laughs> all caps. Just, that was like it. I think it said Mary Poppins on it, but that was pretty much it. And I was just in fits of giggles in this in this station like my partner was like why are you laughing i was like because of the freaking mary poppins poster right it was just ridiculous and um it was oh to add to that as well it was actually the 11th of january when we saw them so the posters were four days out of date too so they're creating this urgency for something that they can't create urgency for anymore and paying for three days or four days in victoria station and it just got me thinking about how it was ominous. It wasn't connected to the show at all. If you are a person who doesn't know who Mary Poppins is, which could be the case, you're going to be like, what does this mean? What is this about? What do you want me to do? And even though I totally get it, they're trying to create urgency. They only have a limited amount of attention span. And obviously it got my attention. I remembered it. It made me want to go see that show at all. It's just made me laugh at how ridiculous it was. Um, and it just felt out of place and weird. And basically, if you're using you know, ad space, if you've got limited ad space, really think about it, really use your words well and make it connect to your business. Like they could have, surely they could have created urgency in a way that fit the branding better rather than all caps in a font that didn't even look like it should be there. It was just, yeah, embarrassing. So keep that in mind for your banner ads, for your Facebook ads, and just for your website in general, if it isn't obvious what the heck you're talking about, you know, if your product's leaving on the 7th of January, that's great. Why should I care? <laughs> you know and that's just how the whole experience felt to me really i i think the equivalent of this in digital is retargeting ads right when you're designing retargeting ads for like instagram or facebook or whatever even google remarketing the temptation is you're designing a bunch of ad creative at once and you know that that person has been on your website at some point so 
your temptation is to think, okay, so I'm like, this ad needs to be a follow-up message to this one. And this one needs to be a follow-up message to this one. And they're assuming prior knowledge, which is completely terrible. That person might not remember at all what your business yeah. is just because they see your logo. They have not, I'm collecting a whole bunch. I saw another one today. I'm collecting a bunch of bad ads and you know, they might be good at, uh, what does this one say here? Because location matters. It's an Instagram stories ad. It just says, because location matters, Roy box. What and does that it. mean? Is that the location of a tattoo? Is that no where you idea. want to live? Is that the location of furniture in your house? Is that, there's so many things that that could be about. Like I've just listed three and my mind went blank. So, you know. There's definitely more that I could reel off. Yeah, that is ridiculous. That's that. Yeah, that's too funny. Yeah. I want to see that folder because I love so that. So assume no prior knowledge. You've got to remake your case in every ad, don't you? You've got to reintroduce. What is this concept? Who is this for? What are the key objections that are going to stop people? And yes, that's going to mean that you're going to have more copy on your ad than she leaves 7th of January. Yes, you 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 might have to annoy your designers because they're going to be like, oh, we just wanted this really clear, bold message. Yeah, but like, who cares if it's not even cutting through, if they don't even know what you're talking about, pointless. Completely. So Completely. yeah, don't be afraid of adding more copy. I think with, with anything it. that's like retargeting and all this, you need to keep that thing in mind right. that's like, oh, oh sorry. My connection is terrible, cool. Jess. Just I'll carry finish, on I'll finish me. my sentence for now. It's all good. So one thing that I've heard a lot of people say, and I know it's one of those things that it's like, make sure you roll your eyes, but it's that tell you what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And I think that is a very good practice to use for retargeting ads. Assume that, you know, maybe they've seen it, but also maybe they haven't. And try and make something that connects to both of those audiences, which sounds really hard. It sounds like I'm overcomplicating things, but sometimes you need to do things that are a bit more difficult to stand out from your competitors. So that's what I had to say before I rudely spoke over Tim, even though we could not hear him, <laughs> which is easily done. I'm dead. My connection's stitching me up. How terrible. It's the very How rude of it. Well, we've done pretty well. 47 minutes and we've talked about everything, I believe, that we wanted to talk about. Let's go. Let's go and do some killer marketing. He's, he's absolutely done. His connection's done. He's out. Well, as we mentioned before, if you are interested in Fix Your Machine that we talked about earlier, you can check out the full webinar with no connection issues um, for one and a half hours. It's fantastic at um, exposure.ninja slash machine. If it says that it's leaving on the 11th of um, January. That is incorrect. <laughs> and you can still sign up for it and get the full video there. So um, yeah, hope you enjoyed the podcast and we will talk to you next week with more marketing news, general chaos. And if you have any questions, you can email us at hello at exposureninja.com, I believe. Maybe there's a different email address and we will do your best, do our best, not do your best, do our best, answer your questions in the next podcast. Got there in the end. I think that's it for today. Let's put a bullet in this thing. <laughs> See you next, See week, you next week. Bye.